Welcome to Technovation. I'm your host, Peter High. My guest today is Chris Helsel. Chris is the Senior Vice President, Global Operations, and Chief Technology Officer at the Goodyear Tire and Rubber Company, a manufacturing company that enables mobility. The company earns in excess of $17 billion in annual revenue. Chris has been in his combined role for two years, having been the Chief Technology Officer for a little more than five years, and has spent most of the past three decades with the company. Chris believes technology is critical to creating exceptional mobility experiences, and I look forward to learning more about that from him in this conversation. Chris, welcome to Technovation. It's great to speak with you today. Thanks, Peter. It's really exciting to join you. Oh, it's a pleasure. But first, a quick word from our partner, Adyen, and the company's Chief Operating Officer, Cameron Zaki. Adyen is a payment platform company that allows businesses to accept e-commerce, mobile, and point-of-sale payments. And Cameron wanted to provide a short overview of what Adyen has to offer. Cameron, over to you. Thanks, Peter. It's one global platform on which you can do many continents and countries, all the relevant payment methods, which vary significantly across different parts of the world to online and physical world or mobile. And we've continued to expand from there. If you go to a dinner party and people ask you what you do and you say this, they're like, that sounds like common sense. Why is it unique? The reality is that a lot of the players who've been around for decades have grown on mainframe computing, releasing once or twice a year, buying other companies, and then they give you one API. But behind the scenes, it's a bit of a spaghetti mess, unfortunately. What Adyen did and what we do is sort of really do the backend plumbing that is a little less sexy at times, but really makes the difference in being able to say, hey, it was Peter. Do you know that he you know, shops online and on mobile and in your store and you can recognize him and you can connect all the dots and it's not just enabling the payment, but it's, hey, how do you factor that into loyalty and marketing and all kinds of other use cases? Thanks, Cameron. And now on to the interview. Well, I wonder, you know, as I, for most people, I, I would imagine they've heard of Goodyear, uh, but it probably would still would be a, a nice thing to hear from you here in the early stage of our conversation with a bit of an overview of the company. Uh, talk a bit about the business that Goodyear Tire and Rubber Company is in, if you would. Yeah, well, really exciting is in 2023, we're going to be celebrating our 125th year in existence, which just think about number of companies who could claim that that's very, very, very few. So so we're really excited about that. And, and of course, at our core is tires and tires are being such an important product over that that time period. And they're really, as we see, and we'll get into our conversation, just as important going forward and a real key to mobility. Uh, we market tires under, of course, the Goodyear brand, but also uh, many people may not know the Cooper brand, Kelly brand, and a lot of other brands around the world. And in many applications, uh, you, you might think of us mainly as consumer tires, but on those big 18-wheelers, uh, vehicles as big as the, the largest mining vehicles in the world, uh, we're, we're the biggest supplier to aerospace, as well as even racing. So, so we cover the full gamut of if people are on, on wheels, we're supplying tires. And, and Chris, I mentioned at the outset, your role is uh, both Chief Technology Officer as well as the Senior Vice President of Global Operations. Take a moment and talk about the two sides of your set of responsibilities, if you would. Yeah, so, so when you think about that, uh, it, the operations is what you, what you would think of. It, it's the production of tires, it's the safety that we have in all of our plants and facilities, procurement of all the raw materials that we have to bring in, the quality systems and all those manufacturing processes, the equipment, you know, our decisions around investment. Um, uh, we do go to business with three regional uh, uh, locations being Americas, 
Europe, Middle East, and Africa, and Asia Pacific. Truly, they make the day-to-day decisions on how they use those assets operationally. It's really our job to make them successful you know, through those capabilities and insurance of the right policies, procedures, equipment, et cetera. Then I have what's the technology side, and as you call out, actually the chief technology officer role I've had for over five years, and that's really breaks into two pieces. One is the tires piece, which is all the technology, the new materials that we're gonna develop, um, again, the equipment that we're going to build the tires on, the design tools we're going to use. A lot of simulation is used in tires, our testing protocols, you name it. That's all in that tire side, as well as the development of the products in those three regions. And then we have the whole Beyond Tires, which is a really exciting space that we'll probably delve a bit more into, I'm sure, which is how are we putting Internet of Things into tires uh, new business models that we do uh, with respect to tires, you know, as people want to consume mobility differently going forward. Well, let's dive into that, Chris, as I would imagine that for many who are listening, this is going to be some of the most surprising and interesting aspects uh, of what you and the team are doing. Talk a bit a bit further about some of that beyond tires and the uh, IoT aspects of what you're describing. It's so fascinating. Yeah, you know, you think of the the world of mobility and it's changing. A lot of it is around uh, solving two problems. One, making it more sustainable or two, more efficient. And and if we think of, I'll I'll hit real quickly on the sustainable part because there is a big tie into our traditional tire side. And that's, you know, just think of a lot of our materials have petrochemical at their base. And so how are we thinking about totally new renewable materials, recyclable materials, materials that we could just reuse, uh, et cetera. So we're doing a lot of work there. We demonstrated a 70% renewable material tire uh, last year. Uh, I'll, I'll give a little peek under the hood. We'll be announcing soon uh, something that really raises the game there. But we're on path to a 20, 30, 100% renewable tire is our goal. And if you think of just, you mentioned, uh, uh, you know, our revenues, you know, that we sell hundred, you know, hundreds of millions of tires. The supply chains that have been in place for many years for our industry are all gonna be disrupted with respect to those new materials. So that's one big aspect of what we're doing to enable mobility going forward. The second one being this internet of things. And here that's our play on, you know, how do we connect the tire in whole new ways? Tires have been designed and maintaining your connection with the road. We do that through four palm size patches, you know, if you think of your consumer vehicle. And so that's been traditional physics, chemistry, mechanics, but how can we now do that in a digital way? And that's our internet of things, putting sensors in tires so that we could manage that connection in whole new ways and inform you about the tire real time. Fascinating, Chris. And and it really speaks to what I've heard you uh, refer to as this kind of emerging mobility ecosystem uh, that, you know, you're part of a, a broader ecosystem that you, you're helping to curate in order to deliver what you've described. Can you talk a bit about the you know, Goodyear's place in that broader ecosystem? So as we think of the ecosystem, it's about basically four trends when we think of mobility. It's fleets, you know, the immersion of shared mobility, we've translated that into fleets. That's gonna be our job here is, instead of you personally owning a vehicle, you're gonna go hail a ride potentially. That's a shared vehicle or a fleet who's offering that. Now it might be a fleet of one in the case of an Uber driver, but it's still a fleet. And what that might mean and how they're gonna consume tires or 
what how tires will be provided for them to do their job better. Autonomous, you know, obviously autonomous driving, you're starting to see emergence of that. Um, and then you have the connected, that's our IoT. And then the electric, which is the electric vehicles. Now we've put the S on, which was sustainability that I, that I, I hit up front. So when you think of the trends of faces, you know, that's really how we get engaged in the future of mobility. Um, a good example I'll give you on the fleet side. And then from there, you, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll dive into wherever you'd like to go. But, but if you think of the fleets, you know, today we do commercial fleet uh, readiness all day long. We do, we've done over 2 million roadside calls for commercial vehicles, your traditional like 18 wheelers. And, and so we give them two hour road time anywhere in the United States. So there's a whole ecosystem there that's built around how you can make that happen. That's both company owned in terms of our locations and the assets to do that, but also our great dealer network, who's also a part of that. But now you go to consumer and the typical consumer experience with respect to tires is a very different one. It's not so concerned about your roll time and knowing that that asset has to be on the road to make you money. It's really more about, hey, you know, bring your car in in the morning, drop off your keys and pick it up later in the day. That just doesn't work if that asset or that vehicle is how you make money. And so it's about, when we think of that new trend, it's how do we provide that same level of a fleet experience, but in a, in, the, in, the, in a new way because it's not commercial, it's consumer. So that conversion. Now, how are we doing that? We've built out something called Ango, and Ango is our vehicle readiness platform. It's a digital platform to coordinate such services and, and to get you as a consumer serviced like a commercial truck, even though it's going through a consumer uh, uh, service location. I mentioned at the outset, Chris, that you've been with the company for the for most of the past three decades, and what a remarkable set of changes you've already begun to describe. I can only imagine, I mean, most of what we've been talking about wasn't even possible uh, in the early stages of your tenure with the company. And, and as I, I, I hear you reflect on this remarkable innovation, can you talk a bit about um, the, the way in which the organization goes about thinking about these waves of new services, products to offer, new, new consumer offerings to, to complement commercial offerings? Um, you know, this had to have been, I would imagine, a cultural change of sorts for the organization in, in uh, positioning itself well to design ideas like this. Can you talk a bit about that broader transformation that's been happening within the company? Yeah, let me let me maybe use our example of what we've built in order to to develop that digital platform. So, back around 2017, we took two associates and moved them to the West Coast, and we said, "Your job is just let us know what's going on out here because there's all these you know startups and people working on mobility." And and emerging from that was the whole face model for us you know, that I described. And those folks started just, okay, what's going on? What are the trends? Who should we potentially partner with? And I will tell you that has grown into a more than 40 person location, specifically doing digital development. Okay. Now, now five years later. And, and what we've learned from that is a couple fold. Number one, if you want to be part of that transformation, you have to immerse yourself with those who are doing the transformation. I mean, 
And so those partnerships and networks and way to work is very different than our traditional business. Our traditional business was a more inside organic R&D, where this is very much an open innovation model, right? Where it's all about who can you partner with. You almost share from the start rather than you start inside and then figure out how to share. It's, it's almost like you start with an open book, very different mindset, I would say, the open innovation model. And then secondly, you're immersed there. Why? Because that's where the talent then gets attracted or the talent is developed. And so if you want to get the best talent, that digital talent, you've got to go to where the you know, birds of the feather, they're, they're all, all together in this area. And so it's set up for us a little different innovation model, both physically as well as how we work. The open innovation model, but also almost it's a, a specific purpose-built satellite versus a generalized large innovation center, which we have today in Akron or Luxembourg. We have twins, which are the majority of our, our innovation is done. But you know this, this idea of these outposts, purpose-built in those ecosystems, and how you work there has definitely been a learning for us and one, a model that we're, we're looking to replicate as we work on all our other problems like the sustainable materials. Yeah, fascinating. And I know a, a related topic, uh, you've helped spearhead uh, what you refer to as Goodyear Ventures. You just were talking about uh, having members of your team ensconced in Silicon Valley. Uh, it sounds like you're drawing in uh, some of the magic of, of Silicon Valley and the whole notion of venture investing into Goodyear itself. Talk a bit about uh, the setting that up, um, but also the the mission of that organization, and, and uh, depending upon what you, you're willing to share, wh where you're investing, the sorts of organizations or technologies that you're investing in as a result of that. So in 2020, we announced our $100 million fund to be invested over 10 years. Um, I will tell you, we're on track with those investments. Um, really proud to say, and and really of the senior leadership team here that they supported that investing even through the, the deepest depths of COVID. You know, when we were looking at making a lot of other really significant business choices, we stuck to that commitment because knowing how critical it was to the future. Let me tell you what it is we're doing with those investments. They're very focused in those two areas of sustainability and mobility. Again, around those trends of fleets, autonomous, connected, electric. And, and what we're doing is finding companies who, number one, they're interesting in terms of, yes, we think they have runway because you're doing a corporate venture fund, you do want to return. But more importantly for us is their strategic fit with what we're trying to accomplish. And so I'll give you, let me really explain that through a couple of good examples and ones that we've announced. So we've worked with a company, Gaddick. Gaddick is a company who's doing the middle mile deliveries. They started doing that with Walmart. They've announced Georgia Pacific. They're working in Canada, I think, with Loblaw, who's a grocery chain. And what they're doing is running between distribution centers and the stores uh, at night, I think, you know, when the roads are a little more empty. And they're doing routes that are very predictable, repeatable, right-hand turns, very safe. And they're bringing autonomy to this and solving a real problem because with the the delivery and online delivery out of those stores, they need replenishment at a faster rate. And, and so they're, they're bringing this solution of autonomous driving and why, again, there's a driver shortage. And so we're, we've, we've invested in them, but more importantly, we're doing technology work to help make them successful and scale faster. 
And yet, how are we doing that? A lot of autonomous driving is under ideal conditions. Well, they're in Toronto, Canada, and they're running today. And, you know, the other day we were looking and we, we logged into the SkyCam and you could actually see the snow. So how do, you, how do you enable autonomous driving in the snow? We're doing the technology work to help give them a prediction of road friction under the snow versus dry so that that helps inform their driving instructions to their autonomous system. So the kind of things that we do, we do the investment, then we help them scale how by helping them solve a problem. Another example of that would be an investment we did in Starship. Starship is doing the robot sidewalk delivery on college campuses. They're in Bowling Green, Ohio, is one of the campuses close to us. And what we invested in them, because we thought this is a really interesting thing for us to understand the trend around that last, you might call it mild delivery. Is it evolving and how would it evolve? Because of course we enjoy great business with the, you know, the major delivery companies. We would like to understand this trend if this is gonna get in any way changed or disrupted. So you find these robots that are running around and, and at first, you know, it's interesting to understand the trend and how their business is growing, but you found they had a real problem with tires. Um, they were using baby stroller tires basically and they're wearing out at huge rates. And it was, a, it was a twofold problem for them. One was of course the efficiency and cost, but more importantly was how, what do you do? These things are wearing out so fast. They had boxes of used baby stroller tires, which become an end of life problem that needs solved from a sustainability aspect. And we were able to develop for them a non-pneumatic tire. And it actually matched up with one of our initiatives, which is evaluating the concepts of tires that will never lose air because they don't have air. Um, and, and trying that in their application and developing a specific application. Here we learned some great things there upon, you know, having to protect the sensor equipment. How can we help them with that? Their downtime, make them last longer. And that helps inform our roadmap that ultimately makes its way onto even road vehicles. So the way in which we use the corporate venture fund is of course, we want financial return, but more importantly is drive strategic initiatives and better understand these trends. I want to actually double click on the airless tire. I, I um, had read a bit about that in preparation for, for this conversation, Chris, and what a fascinating idea that is. Can you provide a little more detail, especially the broader application that might uh, we, we all may become uh, more familiar with in the not too distant future? Well, I opened with stating we've been in business 125 years and the pneumatic tire is actually older than that invented by Mr. Dunlop. Uh, what, what our founder... Uh, or namesake Goodyear did was the vulcanization of rubber. And so, you know, we love the pneumatic tire and the pneumatic tire has been in existence for a long time. And you'd say there aren't a lot of products that are still in that same form. I think the first thing to understand is, well, why is that? And it's because in the design of the pneumatic tire, air is used to carry load and transmit forces. Um, I'm not going to geek out on you on mechanical engineering, which is my, my bachelor's and master's, but that's pretty amazing. There aren't too many materials that cost less than air, than, than air and that can carry load. And this structure does that. So now if you want to replace that with something like an airless tire, you are replacing air with a material. In this case, primarily it's a thermal plastic that makes up the webbing that joins what looks like the tread of your tire and the belt package, pretty similar to a normal tire, to 
a center hub, you know, or small rim. But instead of doing that now with some cords that basically keep the air and then the, the structure that keeps the air in, you're having to do that with real material. So your challenge, of course, immediately becomes weight and it becomes cost. Um, and, and as we work on that, what you need to find is it has to, it has to compete on some new dimensions of value. And where we really see this playing out is like Starship, is autonomy, and you think of autonomous driving, it's the key to driving autonomously is that you can do it under all conditions. And where there's been so much great work by the leaders out there developing autonomous systems, you can't discount all the technology and things done. Those last couple edge cases are really challenging. So you as a trained driver, and you, you probably don't realize what a good driver you are, um, you know how to respond if all of a sudden you hear something or feel something very different in a corner of your vehicle that might be you just lost air in your tire and you successfully navigate to the side of the road. You now have to teach a system to do that. So the idea of the, the, the non-pneumatic tire is, well, let's just make it so you never have that event happen. And now if you think of, if you're gonna take a driver out of the vehicle, that has a really high value that could overcome now the cost added for putting in a non-pneumatic rather than a tire that where air carries load. So, so, you know, it is a true engineering problem about delivering the performance, but also the economics of it. And the economics comes from the new value created. Um, now where we're at on this, you know, you could find some, uh, some cool videos out there where we're, we have them on high-performance vehicles, and they're you know, running really uh, challenging ride and handling type evaluations. We had done some work on road with uh, autonomous shuttles, and we actually have permission in, in several cities and states where we're actually running them now on road in test. Uh, so, so it is a product that we're looking to bring. We probably see them again first showing up in this delivery of goods. Um, and, and we're probably uh, and helping enable autonomy is going to, you know, is kind of the use cases that we're foreseeing first. Really interesting examples. I appreciate you sharing those, Chris. Uh, more to come there and looking forward to, to, to remaining abreast of those innovations. The topic of sustainability has come up across this conversation, and I really admire the, the, the extent to which it has. Clearly, the organization has taken a a strong stance on it and actually have metrics to back it up. You talked about, for instance, the goal by 2030 to have 100% uh, recycled materials in your tires. Um, you also just briefly in a different context talked about the economics of the development of what you're putting together. Talk a bit about the economics of sustainability. Um, it's clearly something that is so pervasive in your thought process and in your innovation cycles as well. And um, you know, to what extent is this sort of doing well by doing good as opposed to simply doing good? I, I'd love to sort of understand your own analysis of that, if you would. Well, I'll, I'll break it down in the two sides of my role. Uh, first, with operations. You know, we've been doing quite a bit to convert um, the energy, the electricity in, in our plants uh, to those renewable sources. Actually, we uh, get involved with putting in our own um solar panel type projects. And what you find actually is the payout on those projects from a financial standpoint are quite good, especially in the environment of rising energy. And so I would encourage any companies out there who are thinking about it, you might want to look at it harder if you're not really active, 
because in today's environment and with the inflation going on there, these are really attractive projects on top of being the right thing to do. So from an operations perspective, it's very much around converting our operations to the renewable type of, of energy, which being electricity. In a tire plant, primarily the one last area to do a lot of work is in the last curing of a tire. I won't go too much into the depth of that, but, but that idea that a tire goes through that transformation or vulcanization, again, back to our Charles Goodyear roots, that's done under steam or pressure and heat. And currently that's typically through boilers and, and natural gas. So we are doing some innovation work there to convert that to electrical type of uh, curing, or even is there an opportunity to convert boilers to hydrogen? Now, of course, then you get, you, you get yourself quickly into, well, what's the source of my hydrogen? Which you wanna be you know, into the, the better sources or the green sources of hydrogen. So, so we're doing some really interesting work there. Uh, we've got some partnerships uh, uh, with, with some folks who are, who are working on how do you take things like methane, separate out the hydrogen. One of the byproducts maybe being carbon. Now that feeds into the other work we're doing is could that carbon then that gets separated out be used in our tire designs, right? And so we're doing the, a lot of work on those source, new sources of things like our carbon black. Um, We've already and done and been a leader in the use of soybean oil instead of petroleum oil. Again, I, it's not a do-good only story. When we put soybean oil in, we've actually enhanced tire performance because what we find is that very low temperatures, it keeps the tire rubber very pliable, which gives you that better traction performance, even at low temperatures, in particular for an all-season tire that has to perform from very low to very high temperatures, you know, because it's on, on the vehicle uh, through all seasons of the year. So, so again, I would encourage people, it's, it's not a do-good only. As you investigate these, you're going to unlock new ways to deliver value that you didn't maybe even anticipate. And, and so it's, it's a twofer. You're finding a much better, sustainable, better for the environment. You're finding better performance, and sometimes even you're getting a better cost on those materials. Um, in some materials, there's still a lot of work to do, right? Uh, the scale isn't there, and, and so, but, but it, it will come. You know, It's taken us 125 years to get to the scales of economies of scales and materials we have today. You know, it's going to take a few, a little while in order to get those same scales on these materials, which is why our 2030 goal has been about get out there and stretch, show the art of the possible with the product. That will pull along people and motivate them to want to put those investments in. And, and fortunately, the, you know, the, 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 there's a lot of appetite out there for green investing and um, getting support. We're working with one we've announced, Monolith who's doing uh, carbon black in a new way uh, like that. And they're attracting investment, uh, considerable investment in order to make that a reality. The sustainability story um, is one that hits on all those dimensions of the right thing, economics and performance. Yeah, what an inspiring story. Again, Chris, I really appreciate you walking, uh, walking us through that. Hopefully something will inspire other leaders to 
uh, to, to make similar projections in their own businesses and think about improvements in a comparable way. I want to return to your role, if you don't mind. As you noted, uh, it's actually a little more than five years that you're the chief technology officer of the of the company. You added uh, just around two years ago the SVP right. of, of global operations to your set of responsibilities. Now, with a couple years of doing the two aspects that you described in detail earlier in our conversation. I wonder what insights you've drawn about the logic of combining these. Uh, there are others, you're, you're, you're part of a fairly elite club of, of folks who have the combined responsibilities, but you're not alone. And I wonder for executives and or companies that might think about the logic and wisdom of combining these sets of responsibilities, what, what have you seen as the advantages of, of, of having them under a, a single leader? I think number one is if you think of your hardest business problems, they typically need to be solved cross-functionally. You know, at the core of Goodyear's strategy roadmap that we have out there, we draw it as three circles, and those three circles being, you know, the customer sits at the middle or the intersection of these three circles. And those circles are sales and marketing excellence to understand the customer, anticipate what they need, and deliver it to them in a high-value way. It's our innovation excellence where we're developing our products and our solutions, and it's your operational excellence. And if you think of two of those circles being operational excellence and the uh, innovation excellence, those are those two circles that you mentioned and how they have to work together. So to make it very tangible, I'll take complexity. Uh, a lot of us have a lot of complexity in our, in our businesses. In tires in particular, there's if you look back over the past 15, 20 years, the numbers of sizes and types of tires has just grown astronomically. And, and so what used to be long runners in your plants, which lend themselves to high efficiency, they're about one-fifth the size. So now those pieces of equipment are being given a lot of changeovers. And so if your design, you know, your product development is putting unique designs or unique pieces in every single one of those products because they're trying to get the ultimate in performance, your plants are choking on all that complexity. And so if you want to solve that problem, you got to go get product development to only put in differentiation in products and pieces where it's really going to get you rewarded. And you've got to get the plants to understand that some of that is good complexity and some of it's bad. And so that's a problem we solve at the intersection now that we used to try to solve with probably two groups doing a little bit of, well, if you would just fix this and you would fix that. And what you really find when you dig into that particular problem is it's a little bit of both, right? And now what do I have under my purvey and a great talented team is the people who can really solve that problem. I've got the people who are designing the next generation equipment who know how to, you know, Let's, let's uh, account for the fact we need a little more flexibility versus our old equipment. I've got those with the manufacturing standards and how we have to handle that and our thinking around how we're going to load the footprint overall in our system on where we'll put products and plant roles. And I've got the design people who, hey, what are our design standards? And I even have the procurement on what materials will we buy and how many of them will we buy. So, you know, if there's, a, if there's somebody who fails on that, I, I know who it is. Uh, but but the point is you have all the piece parts together to go make it happen. And if you could get that team not doing this, but jointly owning it, boy, you make progress on a hard problem in a, in a hurry. What a great, great response in terms of the 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 value at the intersection of traditional disciplines, um, if, I, if I might uh, 
uh, grossly oversimplify in, in providing a bit, uh, kind of a, a broader uh, uh, touchstone to the to the, the anecdotes you provided there. I really appreciate that, Chris. Um, you've mentioned a number of rising trends in business from autonomous driving to uh, the Internet of Things to sustainability to, uh, to name just a few. I-, I wonder here towards the conclusion of our conversation, are there others that we've not uh, hit on yet that really excite you trends as you look to the future, Chris? I think the one we probably haven't hit on so much is probably the the confluence of of information that your folks have to make decisions. When I joined Goodyear, I was hired in. I had, I had experience elsewhere. It was all on design simulation. And so, you know, how do you take and design tires without having to build and test? And I remember when I was first hired, they said, you know what we want you to do is we, you see all that testing out there. We want that. We, we should get rid of all that because it costs too much money and replace it with simulation. And I'm here 26 years later to tell you I failed miserably because we do just as much testing as we ever did. But we use it in a different way. We use it for those things where we don't haven't yet validated our models. But you've got this modeling data and we've got all this test data. And now think of it, our one bold goal is to put a sensor in every tire in 2027. We're gonna have real time, all of this information coming back on our product. How, how are you gonna put those all together? and really make better decisions, because that's what's most important is make better decisions. And I think the thing, you know, number one I'd leave is think about that. What is that gonna mean to you and your business? And secondly, what kind of people are you gonna have to have to deal with that? And how are you gonna equip them? Because your people's jobs, your engineers' jobs, I'll just speak from them, they're getting harder every day. We're telling them, hey, don't just design for performance, go design for cost, go design for manufacturability. Oh, by the way, I want you to think about complexity. I want you to understand the whole life cycle assessment of all the materials you're using. I'd like you to understand the manufacturing technique. Is it more renewable energy or is it this? And you're telling people go work in this now multifaceted, multidimensional, multivariable optimization. You better be thinking about how you're equipping them with new tools. So those would be my last thought that I'd share with you. Really, really great thoughts there, Chris. I, I appreciate it. Um, you mentioned a moment ago, 26 plus years with Goodyear. I believe by my count, if LinkedIn is uh, is accurate, nine roles across uh, that time within the company. Um, now, of course, achieving a, a, a role of, of significance and consequence um, in the organization. I wonder, as you reflect upon your journey what have been some of the difference makers for you along the way, the secrets to your success, Chris? And I ask that uh, not only to, to hear an interesting story, but also the extent to which there might be somebody listening who's a decade or two or three uh, behind you in their career. Um, you know, what advice might you offer them as a result of some of the things that have worked particularly well for you? Well, first, you know, thanks. Thanks for the, the compliments on the career. It's, you know, uh, oftentimes when you look back at it, it's pretty humbling, right? Um, I would say number one is, You've got to be inquisitive. In 26 years, just think of the change you and I have just had in this conversation. It's really important as you want to learn about that. You don't have to be the expert, but you're going to have to understand it enough that you can change the way you think of your strategies and how you lead and lead teams. So I would say number one is develop inquisitiveness. That's really key uh, to, to being successful and just keep keep moving forward when it comes to all these changes. And, and secondly, and I, I, it's probably a, a, an old saw, 
right, is the the idea that you got to be a learner and and that it goes with the inquisitiveness and you want to learn. You realize that, hey, there's new ways to do things and you learn basically by doing. And if you're open to that, you're asking questions, which leads you to, well, why is that like that? Go Go find a way to get yourself immersed in it. That's the only way you could play. Leadership is a hands-on thing. It's not a uh, theoretical that you just sit behind a desk. And, um, you know, it's an exciting time, I think. And uh, probably 26 years from now, you'll interview somebody else who say, wow, all that old stuff, you know, that's, you know, that now look at the way we do it. But, you know, at the core of it, people are still people. They want to be led. They want to have purpose in the work they do. Um, You need to, you have responsibility to give them good direction. And, and engage them to, to, to do good work. Uh, but, but that inquisitiveness, I think, is the number one thing that I always, I always say to my own people, and I would encourage others. Fantastic advice, certainly, Chris. I appreciate you sharing that. Well, Chris Helsel, thank you so much across this conversation. What, what remarkable insights you've shared uh, from your time as a good year, uh, from the fascinating set of responsibilities that you have, uh, the innovation you're driving, the areas you're investing in, the ways in which you're thinking about uh, making the business and the planet ultimately a, a bit better through the work and innovation that you're you're spurring. It's really been a, a great conversation. Thank you so much. Thank you. I really enjoyed it.